Hartford at Melchester, for there was no other girl, O bridegroom, like her. Sappho, H.T. Wharton. Chapter 1 It was a new idea, the ecclesiastical and altruistic life as distinct from the intellectual and emulative life. A man could preach and do good to his fellow creatures without taking double firsts in the schools of Christminster or having anything but ordinary knowledge. The old fancy, which had led on to the culminating vision of the bishopric, had not been an ethical or theological enthusiasm at all, but a mundane ambition masquerading in a surplice. He feared that his whole scheme had degenerated to, even though it might not have originated in, a social unrest which had no foundation in the nobler instincts, which was purely an artificial product of civilization. There were thousands of young men on the same self-seeking track at the present moment. The sensual hind who ate, drank, and lived carelessly with his wife through the days of his vanity was a more likable being than he. But to enter the church in such an unscholarly way that he could not in any probability rise to a higher grade through all his career than that of the humble curate, wearing his life out in an obscure village or city slum, that might have a touch of goodness and greatness in it. That might be true religion and a purgatorial course worthy of being followed by a remorseful man. The favorable light in which this new thought showed itself by contrast with his foregone intentions cheered Jude as he sat there, shabby and lonely, and it may be said to have given, during the next few days, the coup de grace to his intellectual career a career which had extended over the greater part of a dozen years. He did nothing, however, for some long stagnant time to advance his new desire, occupying himself with little local jobs in putting up and lettering headstones about the neighboring villages and submitting to be regarded as a social failure, a returned purchase by the half dozen or so of farmers and other country people who condescended to nod to him. The human interest of the new intention and a human interest is indispensable to the most spiritual and self-sacrificing, was created by a letter from Sue, bearing a fresh postmark. She evidently wrote with anxiety and told very little, little about her own doings, more than she had passed some sort of examination for a Queen's scholarship and was going to enter a training college at Melchester to complete herself for the vocation she had chosen, partly by his influence. There was a theological college at Melchester. Melchester was a quiet and soothing place, almost entirely ecclesiastical in its tone, a spot where worldly learning and intellectual smartness had no establishment, where the altruistic feeling that he did possess would perhaps be more highly estimated in a brilliancy which he did not. As it would be necessary that he should continue for a time to work at his trade while reading up divinity, which he had neglected at Christminster for the ordinary classical grind, what better course for him than to get employment at the further city and pursue this plan of reading? That his excessive human interest in the new place was entirely of Sue's making, while, at the same time, Sue was to be regarded even less than formerly as proper to create it, had an ethical contradictoriousness to which he was not blind. 
but that much he conceded to human frailty and hoped to learn to love her only as a friend and kinswoman. He considered that he might so mark out his coming years as to begin his ministry at the age of thirty, an age which much attracted him as being that of an exemplar when he first began to teach in Galilee. This would allow him plenty of time for deliberate study and for acquiring capital by his trade to help his aftercourse of keeping the necessary terms at a theological college. Christmas had come and passed, and Sue had gone to the Melchester Normal School. The time was just the worst in the year for Jude to get into new employment, and he had written suggesting to her that he should postpone his arrival for a month or so till the days had lengthened. She had acquiesced so readily that he wished he had not proposed it. She evidently did not much care about him, though she had never once reproached him for his strange conduct in coming to her that night and his silent disappearance. Neither had she ever said a word about her relations with Mr. Philotston. Suddenly, however, quite a passionate letter arrived from Sue. She was quite lonely and miserable, she told him. She hated the place she was in. It was worse than the ecclesiastical designers, worse than anywhere. She felt utter friendless. Could he come immediately? Though, when he did come, she would only be able to see him at limited times. The rules of the establishment she found herself in being strict to a degree. It was Mr. Philotston who had advised her to come here, and she wished she, she had never listened to him. Philotston's suit was not exactly prospering, evidently, and Jude felt unreasonably glad. He packed up his things and went to Melchester with a lighter heart than he had known for months. This being the turning over a new leaf, he duly looked about for a temperance hotel and found a little establishment of that description in the street leading from the station. When he had had something to eat, he walked into the dull winter light of the town bridge and turned the corner toward the close. The day was foggy, and standing under the walls of the most graceful architectural pile in England, he paused and looked up. The lofty building was visible as far as the roof ridge above. The dwindling spire rose more and more remotely, till its apex was quite lost in the mist drifting across it. The lamps now began to be lighted, and turning to the west front, he walked around. He took it as a good omen that numerous blocks of stone were lying about, which signified that the cathedral was undergoing restoration or repair to a considerable extent. It seemed to him, full of the superstitions of his belief, that this was an exercise of forethought on the part of a ruling power, that he might find plenty to do in the art he practiced while waiting for a call to higher labors. Then a wave of warmth came over him as he thought how near he stood to the bright vivacious girl with the broad forehead and pile of dark hair above it, the girl with the kindling glance, daringly soft at times, something like that of the girls he had seen in engravings from paintings of the Spanish school. She was here, actually in this close, in one of the houses confronting this very west facade. He went down the broad gravel path towards the building. It was an ancient edifice of the 15th century once a palace, now a training school, with mullioned and transomed windows, and a courtyard in front shut in from the road by a wall. Jude opened the gate and went up to the door through which, on inquiring for his cousin, 
He was gingerly admitted to a waiting room, and in a few minutes she came. Though she had been here such a short while, she was not as he had last seen her. All her bounding manner was gone. Her curves of motion had become subdued lines. The screens and subtleties of convention had likewise disappeared. Yet, neither was she quite the woman who had written the letter that summoned him, that had plainly been dashed off on impulse, which second thought had somewhat regretted, thoughts that were possibly of his recent self-disgrace, Jude was quite overcome with emotion. You don't think me a demoralized wretch for coming to you as I was and going so shamefully, Sue? Oh, I have tried not to. You had enough let me know what had caused it. I hope I shall never have any doubt of your worthiness, my poor Jude, and I am glad you have come. She wore a murray-colored gown with light lace collar. It was made quite plain and hung about her slight figure with clinging gracefulness. Her hair, which formerly she had worn according to the custom of the day, was now twisted up tightly, and she had altogether the air of a woman chipped and pruned by severe discipline, an underbrightness shining through from the depths with which that discipline had not yet been able to reach. She had come forward prettily, but Jude felt that she had hardly expected him to kiss her, as he was burning to do, under other colors than those of cousinship. He could not perceive the least sign that Sue regarded him as a lover, or would ever do so now that she knew the worst of him, even if he had the right to behave as one, and this helped on his growing resolve to tell her of his matrimonial entanglement, which he had put off doing from time and time in sheer dread of losing the bliss of her company. Sue came out into the town with him, and they walked and talked with tongues centered only on the passing moments. Jude said he would like to buy her a little present of some sort, and then she confessed, with something of shame, that she was dreadfully hungry. They were kept on very short allowances in the college, and a dinner, tea, and supper all in one was the present she most desired in the world. Jude thereupon took her to an inn and ordered whatever the house afforded, which was not much. The place, however, gave them a delightful opportunity for a little tea-ta-tea, nobody else being in the room, and they talked freely. She told him about the school, as it was at that date, and the rough living, and the mixed character of her fellow students, gathered from all parts of the diocese, and how she had to get up and work by gaslight in the early morning with all the bitterness of a young person whom restraint was new. To all this he listened, but it was not what he wanted especially to know, her relations with Philotston. That was what she did not tell. When they had sat and eaten, Jude impulsively placed his hand upon hers. She looked up and smiled, and took his quite freely into her own little soft one, dividing his fingers and coolly examining them, as if they were the fingers of a glove she was purchasing. "'Your hands are rather rough, Jude, aren't they?' she said. "'Yes, so would yours be if they held a mallet and chisel all day. "'I don't dislike it, you know. "'I think it is noble to see a man's hand subdued to what he works in. "'Well, I'm rather glad I came to this training school after all. "'See how imp independent I shall be after the two years' training?' I shall pass pretty high, I expect, and Mr. Flotston will use his influence to get me a big school. She had touched the subject at last. I had a suspicion, a fear, said Jude, that he cared about you rather warmly and perhaps wanted to marry you. 
Don't be such a silly boy. He has said something about it, I expect. If he had, would it matter? An old man like him. Oh, come, Sue, he's not so very old. And I know what I saw him doing. Not kissing me, that I'm certain. No, but putting his arm round your waist. Ah, I remember. But I didn't know he was going to. You are wriggling out of it, Sue, and it isn't quite kind. Her ever-sensitive lip began to quiver, and her eye to blink at something this reproof was deciding her to say. I know you'll be angry if I tell you everything, and that's why I don't want to. Well, very well then, dear, he said soothingly. I have no real right to ask you, and I don't wish to know. I shall tell you, said she, with the perverseness that was part of her. This is what I have done. I have promised. I have promised that I will marry him when I come out of the training school two years hence, and have got my certificate. His plan being that we shall then take a large double school in a great town, he the boys's, and I the girls, as married school teachers often do, and make a good income between us. Oh, Sue! But of course, it is right. You couldn't have done better. He glanced at her and their eyes met, the reproach in his own belying words. Then he drew his hand quite away from hers and turned his face in estrangement from her to the window. Sue regarded him passively without moving. I knew you would be angry, she said with an air of no emotion whatsoever. Very well, I am wrong, I suppose. I ought not to have let you come to see me. We had better not meet again, and we'll only correspond at long intervals on purely business matters. This was just the one thing that he would not be able to bear, as she probably knew, and it brought him round at once. Oh, yes, we will he said quickly. Your being engaged can make no difference to me whatsoever. I have a perfect right to see you when I want to, and I shall. Then don't let, it, don't let us talk of it any more. It is quite spoiling our evening together. What does it matter about what one is going to do in two years hence? She was something of a riddle to him, and he let the subject drift away. Shall we go and sit in the cathedral? He asked when their meal was finished. Cathedral? Yes, though I think I'd rather sit in the railway station, she answered, a remnant of vexation still in her voice. That's the center of the town life now. The cathedral has had its day. How modern you are. So would you be if you had lived so much in the Middle Ages as I have done for these last few years? The cathedral was a very good place four or five centuries ago, but it is played out now. I'm not modern either. I am more ancient than medievalism, if you only knew. Jude looked distressed. There, I won't say any more of that, she cried. Only you don't know how bad I am from your point of view, or you wouldn't think so much of me, or care whether I was engaged or not. Now there's just time for us to walk round the clothes, then I must go in, or I shall be locked out for the night. He took her to the gate, and they parted. Jude had a conviction that his unhappy visit to her on that sad night had precipitated this marriage engagement, and it did anything but add to his happiness. Her reproach had taken that shape then, and not the shape of words. However, next day he set about seeking employment, which it was not so easy to get as at Christminster, there being, as a rule, less stone-cutting in progress in this quiet city, and hands being mostly permanent. But he edged himself in by degrees, his first work was some carving at the cemetery on the hill, 
and ultimately he became engaged on the labor he most desired, the cathedral repairs, which were very extensive, the whole interior stonework having been overhauled to be largely replaced by new. The lodgings he took near the closed gate would not have disgraced a curate, the rent representing a higher percentage on his wages than mechanics of any sort usually care to pay. His combined bed and sitting room was furnished with framed photographs of the rectories and deaneries at which his landlady had lived as a trusted servant in her time, and the parlor downstairs bore a clock on the mantelpiece inscribed to the effect that it was presented to the same serious-minded woman by her fellow servants on the occasion of her marriage. Jude added to the furniture of his room by unpacking photographs of the ecclesiastical carvings and monuments that he had executed with his own hands, and he was deemed a satisfactory acquisition as tenant of the vacant apartment. He found an ample supply of theological books in the city bookshops, and with these his studies were recommenced in a different spirit and direction from his former course. As a relaxation from the fathers, and such stock works as Parley and Butter, he read Newman, Pusey, and many other modern lights. He hired a harmonium, set it up in his lodge, and practiced chants thereon, single and double. Chapter 2 Tomorrow's our grand day, you know. Where shall we go? I have leave from three till nine, whenever we can get to and come back from in that time. Not rooms, Jude. I don't care for them. Well, Warder Castle, and then we can do Font Hill if we like, all in the same afternoon. What are those Gothic ruins, and I hate Gothic. No, quite otherwise. It is a classic building. Corinthian, I think, with a lot of pictures. Ah, that will do. I like the sound of Corinthian. We'll go. Their conversation had run thus some few weeks earlier, and next morning they prepared to start. Every detail of the outing was a facet reflecting a sparkle to Jude, and he did not venture to meditate on the life of inconsistency he was leading. His Sue's conduct was one lovely conundrum to him. He could say no more. There duly came the charm calling at the college door for her, her emergence in a nun-like simplicity of costume that was rather enforced than desired. Then traipsing along to the station, the porters by your leave, the screaming of the trains, everything formed the basis of a beautiful crystallization. Nobody stared at Sue because she was so plainly dressed, which comforted Jude in the thought that only himself knew the charms those habiliments subdued. A matter of ten pounds spent in the drapery shop, which had no connection with her real life or her real self, would have set all Melchester staring. The guard of the train thought they were lovers and put them into a compartment all by themselves. That's a good intention wasted, said she. Jude did not respond. He thought the remark unnecessarily cruel and partly untrue. They reached the park and castle and wandered through the picture galleries. Jude stopping by preference in front of the devotional pictures by Del Sarto, Guido Reni, Spangliato, Sasperato, Carlo Dolci, and others. Sue paused patiently behind him and stole critical looks into his face regarding the virgins, holy families, and saints. It grew reverent and abstracted. When she had thoroughly estimated him at this, 
she would move on and wait for him before Lely or Reynolds. It was evident that her cousin deeply interested her, as one might be interested in a man puzzling out his way along a labyrinth from which one had oneself escaped. When they came out, a long time still remained for them, and Jude proposed that as soon as they had something to eat, they should walk across the high country to the north of their present position, and intercept the train of another railway leading back to Melchester at a station about seven miles off. Sue, who was inclined for any adventure that would intensify the sense of her day's freedom, readily agreed, and away they went, leaving the adjoining station behind them. It was indeed open country, wide and high. They talked and bounded on, Jude cutting from a little covert a long walking stick for Sue, as tall as herself, with a great crook, which made her look like a shepherdess. About halfway on their journey, they crossed a main road running due east and west, the old road from London to Land's End. They paused and looked up and down it for a moment and remarked upon the desolation which had come over this once lively thoroughfare while the wind dipped to earth and scooped straws and haystems from the ground. They crossed the road and passed on, but during the next half mile, Seuss seemed to grow tired and Jude began to be distressed for her. They had walked a good distance altogether, and if they could not reach the other station, it would be rather awkward. For a long time, there was no cottage visible on the wide expanse of down and turnip land. But presently, they came to a sheepfold, and next to the shepherd pitching hurdles. He told them that the only house near was his mother's and his, pointing to a little dip ahead from which a faint blue smoke arose, and recommended them to go on and rest there. This they did, and entered the house, admitted by an old woman without a single tooth, to whom they were as civil as strangers can be, when their only chance of rest and shelter lies in the favor of the householder. "'A nice little cottage,' said Jude. "'Oh, I don't know about the niceness. I shall have to thatch it soon, and where the thatch is to come from, I can't tell. For straw to get that, dear, will twill soon cheaper to cover your house with shinny planes than thatch. They sat resting when the shepherd came in. Don't mind I, he said with a depreciating wave of the hand. Bide here as long as you will, but mind you be thinking of getting back to Melchester tonight by train, because you'll never do it in this world, since you don't know the lie of the country. I don't mind going with you some of the ways, but even then the train might be gone. They started up. You can bide here, you know, over the night. Can't a mother? The place is welcome to you. Tis hard lying, rather, but Volk may do worse. He turned to Jude and asked privately, Be you married couple? She's no, said Jude. Oh, I meant nothing but day, not I. Well, then, she can go into mother's room, and you and I can lie in the outer chimney after they've gone through. I can call you soon enough to catch the first train back. You've lost this one now. On consideration, they decided to close with this offer, and drew up and shared with the shepherd and his mother the boiled bacon and greens for supper. I rather like this, said Sue, while their entertainers were clearing away the dishes. Outside all laws except gravitation and germination. You only think you like it. You don't. You are quite a product of civilization, said Jude, a recollection of her engagement reviving his soreness a little. Indeed I am not, Jude. I like reading and all that, 
but I craved to get back to the life of my infancy and its freedoms. Do you remember it so well? You seem to me to have nothing unconventional at all about you. Oh, haven't I? You don't know what's inside me. What? The Ishmaelite. An urban miss is what you are. She looked severe disagreement and turned away. The shepherd roused them the next morning, as he had said. It was bright and clear, and the four miles to the train were accomplished pleasantly. When they had reached Melchester and walked to the close, and the gates of the old building in which she was again to be immured rose before Sue's eyes, she looked a little scared. I expect I shall catch it, she murmured. They rang the great bell and waited. Oh, I brought something for you which I had nearly forgotten, she said quickly, searching her pocket. It is a little photograph of me. Would you like it? Would I? He took it gladly, and the porter came. There seemed to be an ominous glance on his face when he opened the gate. She passed in, looking back at Jude and waving her hand.